This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Hey everyone, it's Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and welcome to another episode of Straight Outta Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the show. Make sure that you're heading to our website, gregcrumpton.com, and subscribing to Straight Outta Crumpton on all socials, uh, as well as on all streaming platforms. So we're talking Apple, Spotify, um, you can find us on Google as well, Google Podcasts, um, but yeah, just make sure that that you are getting locked into all of our previous as well as upcoming episodes because we have plenty of conversations to be had here with our host, Greg. So I'm going to go ahead and tee us up to our guest for today and then introduce Greg. Um, Today's guest is Mike Lysa. He is a wrestling and football coach with a 40-plus year career in both Georgia and South Carolina across four different school systems. And today's hot topic of debate and analysis and sort of reflection on storied careers is all about work ethic. And, you know, sometimes uh, the mantras that went out, went out for a reason, right? And so it's all about work ethic and about that tried and true strategy of just giving a shit about what you do in your life, right? So we're going to be learning from Mike, who had a long career in a field that demands discipline, showing up every day with a winning mindset, right? And hard work and perseverance. And we're going to take those learning lessons and help apply them to what you can take away and, you know, make work in your day to day, whether you're on the field, whether you're in the office, whether you're at home with your family, work ethic, giving a shit, it goes a long way. So let's bring Greg Crumpton into the conversation. Greg, how you doing, man? Man, I don't know how to follow that, but um, I do... I do give it, and um, I'm proud to be here today, Daniel. We're coming off the Memorial Day weekend, and um, just such a, a great weekend to think about, I don't know, our, our history, obviously, the, the folks who have laid down their lives for us to give us the freedom to even come on here and do something as ridiculous as talking about our freedom. So um, very, very cool day uh, we, our guest today is, uh, I've known this gentleman for the better part of 40 years. And when I think about people and I think about leadership and thought leadership and uh, more than anything, leading by actions, uh, Mike is always at the top of my mind. So I thought, man, what does Mike have to do with HBAC? Absolutely nothing. But... Mike has everything to do with people uh, setting the tone, leadership, walking the talk, and being that rock for uh, young people, uh, as he has shown over the course of the years, uh, years, plural. So, Mike, uh, without further ado, I know there's a lot of talking before you get to go, but welcome to the show, brother. Glad to be here. Very honored, sir. Well, when we talk about work ethic... You know, I I said you come to mind because you do. Um, I've seen what you do. I've seen what you give. I've I've been to the wrestling matches. I've seen you out there, you know, as as interactive as I can be. But more so than anything, Mike, I think what, what always pops out for me is the stories that you have 
of the young people's lives that you've impacted over the course of the year that, you know, 40 years later, you're still in touch with those people. And I always thought that was really cool that they come back to you and, and say, you know, Coach Lysley, you don't know this, but you made a heck of a difference in my life. Um, but before we get too deep into that, give, give us a little bit of background on Mike Lysa and how in the world you came to be a 40-year industry guy, meaning leadership, thought leadership, uh, just overall good dude. How did you get here, man? Tell us about it. Well, um, I had very um, um, down-to-earth parents. Then both came through the depression. So that was basically a lot of the background of my upbringing and um, having dad preach to me that it's right, accept help, but you be ready to give it when it's your turn and don't have to be asked. So I've constantly looked for ways to contribute, knowing I can't do everything, but I can do something. And I, I was so concerned as a young person trying to find my niche, my calling, if you want to call it that, because I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to be able to look back over my career and be able to say, well, I did something worthwhile. And um, I kind of got into teaching by accident one day when a a couple that I knew, friends of mine, son was having some trouble with his social studies. And I asked if I could help. And I said, sure. So I started having little sessions with him. And just seeing him just come alive when he started getting the concepts that were to him were very difficult, just gave me a, a action of what it was like to feel um, on the other end. And when you help somebody, the joy that you receive because of their their happiness. And I thought, this is something I'm, I might be able to do. So I pursued it. And through the long and winding road, I ended up in Georgia, taking the very first job I, I was offered because I was scared I wouldn't get another offer. So I ran with it and uh, started teaching history, loved history, loved the, uh, the stories that our nation has been through the tribe and tribulations and how we've gotten where we are. And I try to not only um, do that in the classroom, try to teach young people to appreciate history, but also on the, on the football field and the, and the wrestling environment that it, it takes discipline. It takes a lot of hard work. And I try to simplify things for them because the world tries to complicate to me how to be successful, uh, how to do the right thing and um, how to have a future. And I, I start very simple. I just tell them I have two rules, do your job, follow directions. And I think that's something we all have to do as adults, but it also starts with us. In my case with me, I can't talk leadership or any of that if I don't model it myself. Yeah. And that doesn't mean I'm perfect because my athletes, my Students all know that I I check my ego at the door when I come in the building, and there are days when they'll teach me, and uh, that's okay with me because I don't know it all. I've had a few more experiences and trials and tribulations than they've had, but I think I can help them. But I've got to start by modeling 
I'm expecting to see in them. I, I'm, I'm curious because you have two different things going on in your head. Three, or, or I mean, three I know of. Probably have a whole lot more if you're like me. But um, so you have the academics that you know you're required to teach. You have the the you know just being a good civil human you know, uh, part of your equation that you want to deliver. And then you've got the competition side, you know, whether it be on the team sport or individual sport of wrestling, which is kind of a team sport anyway, um, kind of one of the, those bifurcated sports. But how do you how do you keep that straight, Mike, or do you or do you let it all blend uh, if you're in the classroom and you're you're teaching, you know, history about what happened at Iwo Jima. How, how, do, how do you blend that into teaching a young lady or a young man, you know, how to be a good citizen? How, how does all of that blend for you mentally? Well, I'll be honest with you, it's difficult because um, a lot of the things that we're trying to teach them and instill in them, they can't see physically. They can't experience for themselves. We can't take them back to that day, that time. And it, it's, it's, it's difficult because I think a lot of times in the classroom, especially they're missing that element. They, it's, it's hard to connect them to history. What I try to do is try to get them to see why things have happened. What was the end result and what effect did it have on the future? And that, that way they could connect it to themselves to know that the past um, on their livelihood and their lifestyles, uh, they're living today, and it's nothing they've done. Are you a storyteller in the classroom of how these these historical events? Do you do you present it in a story fashion, or are you? How do you do it? Yes, sir, I do, Greg. Because if you try to teach them just straight facts, you're gonna lose them. Yeah, they're gonna check you off in the first few seconds. So you've got to make it relevant to them. And I think um, my students um, often kid me, but they also compliment me about my storytelling. And uh, another element I try to bring into the classroom that I, I just it just comes out is life lessons. Yeah, I will apply a lot of what I teach to life lessons, and um, probably more so than I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. I want to say fifty fifty. It, it's I think it's as much important to teach them about history, but also those valuable life lessons. I have students. I just read some uh, notes the other day that they thank me for for the life lessons, and they'll mention that a lot more than they will the history part, which they 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 know that it's important. Yeah. But um, I think if I can help them apply history to their life and these stories and lessons, then I'm uh, I'm making a contribution, which is what I've always tried to do. Well, I think that's so strong because, you know, history is nothing but a culmination of scar tissue. You know, whether yes. whether it's our scar tissue or George Washington's, um, it's a culmination of what has happened. I mean, history is the accounting of what has happened. It's not looking forward. But I think when anytime you can take somebody back, and show them what happened based on a set of decisions that were made, 
and then how that affects you going forward, that, that's usually a pretty strong message. Yes, sir. And, and I do something, it might seem to be controversial, but I think it's true. I tell my students coming in, we have no right to judge history. History is there for us to learn from. We can't go back. We can't put ourselves in their mindset and tell them right and wrong, what they did right, what they could do. But we don't, we don't have the, the right to do that. And I think that's, that's happening a lot today. And that's one thing I try to get out of the way with my students right away. You need to get out of this judgmental attitude because we have no right to do that. Well, that, that's, that's a great point because, you know, our, our ancestors and founders, especially of our country, were making decisions based on what they were living in and around and through. They didn't have the benefit of uh, getting on the Internet and doing a little fact-checking. You know, I mean, you think about I, I thought about this. Connie and I were talking about it over the weekend. The guys at, at Valley Forge and what they went through. And, right. and, you know, they're out there in dang moccasins in snow that's knee-deep. And, you know, I, it, it's just hard to, to – cast a doubt on what any decision was made based on uh, on those conditions um yes sir. so you and i we we do share something in common and that is our family uh and i'll, I'll go ahead and spring spring the fact on the everybody i see a wiener dog over your shoulder by the way um that's to me um the fact that you're my brother-in-law <clears throat> yes sir more so brother and less in-law, but, you know, that's why I've been able to be around you and listen and watch and learn from you for 40 years. Um, and you and I both had an adult mentor being in my father. And, you know, our relationship with my dad uh, was different because, you know, I've been around him all my life and, and you had uh, been around him at, you know, I, I remember the first day you met the guy. Um, how how does that, you know, and, and I think about, I was thinking about it this morning, knowing we were going to talk and how your perception of my mentor and my perception of your mentor are different because he was different things to us both. But at the same time, he taught us a lot of the same lessons Um you probably got the better of it because he wasn't pissed off at you for, for the first 21 years of your life like he was me. But um, how, did, how did Big John impact you? Uh, what was some of the stuff you took away from his walk the talk and, and storytelling? And, you know, he had such a way of, of delivering life lessons. Um, what was some of your stuff you, you took away from him? Well, the first thing that I always admired about Dad was that he he was an example. He was a man of few words, much like my father. Um, that uh, when they when they both spoke, you listened because they did they weren't didn't have the gift of gab, and they and the way they talked to you, they never talked down. He always was willing to teach me uh, things. Oh. You know, uh, he never came across as, as looking down on me. Uh, we both had very similar economic backgrounds, which I think 
made a very common uh, uh, mode of con uh, conversation there. And the fact that he he generally cared. I mean, I remember the day he told me, he said, I think of you just like I think of Greg. And to me, Greg, that was an honor because uh, I didn't have that kind of relationship with my dad. Right. Um, and it was something that I always wanted. And it just seemed to come natural. He was a he, he was a he was a life teacher, and if you just were quiet enough, you would pick up so many things from him. Not just technical stuff, how to do this or that, but the some of the experiences he went through and helped me with uh, things I was struggling in my life. So he was just a constant teacher and an example. Yeah, you know, I, I think about him often. Um pretty much every day, I guess, uh, in some, some form or fashion. And I think about nowadays, you know, the work you and I are trying to do with young people in our own ways. And the, I think about how, how would he in this day and age relate to, uh, you know, five generations of, of people in the workplace like we we have to interact with you know uh, everybody from uh, your your uh, age group, which is a uh, baby boomer but older than me, all the way down through you know the the a the alpha generation, which is just now graduating from high school. Um, yes, sir. I always think about how in the world would he communicate, but then I look back on it. Mike, and he always found a way to connect with whoever he was talking to. I was going to say that. You know, he could walk into a boardroom and talk to people, or he could get in the basement of a, of a building and work on a boiler with somebody and still have that same ability, yes, uh, uh, ability to connect. And he could change his delivery. Um, you know, you said he was a man of few words, and he was, but... He definitely could change his delivery uh, to reach the target. And, you know, I think about that now as, as the folks that we're trying to connect with. And, and what I try to do is figure out how to connect with people. And, you know, it always comes back to the, the walking the talk and, and not BSing people, give them facts. But you got to do it in a way that relates to them. And, yes, um, you know, you're you're uh, probably in a much better position to understand that than I am, because you you have to communicate with. I don't know how many kids are in a classroom, but a boatload uh, yes, more than I see in a day. But how do you go about parsing out? OK, I need to make my delivery to this kid because this young lady hears differently than her her buddy in the next row over. How how quickly can you adapt and adjust your delivery? What works seems to work for me, uh, Greg, is that in the classroom, as well as on the field, you're dealing with young people. And um, I think first and foremost, you have to create a safe ground for them to be able to come from where they are, whether they can relate to what you're talking about or they can't. Um, I always stress to my students, everybody checks where you go at the door. This is a safe environment for you. You, I don't want you to feel afraid to, to make a mistake or to give a wrong answer because I'm liable to do it myself. 
And if I want you to treat me with respect and, and forgive me, then I have to do the the opposite. So I and that seems to work because a lot of kids aren't used to hearing that from coaches or teachers. I always told my players I loved them. I told them if they had a need, I, I'd do what I could to, to to either do it myself, help them, or find help. But they needed to know I cared, and I think that's where it all starts. Is uh, you know, and I'll have to go back to an incident I had one day coaching. I was at Lithonia, and I was just apologizing to this seasoned coach for what I didn't know. And he very um, abruptly said, Mike, these kids will forgive you for what you don't know and the mistakes you make if they think you care about them. Yeah. But if they don't get that vibe that you care about them, you could be the best coach or teacher in the world, and they won't give you the time of day. You know, that, that reminds me of that saying. I've heard it uh, most of my adult life that people don't, care how much you know until they know how much you care <clears throat> and that is so dang true um you know if, if you think about the things that have happened over the course of your life and um you 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 tend to forget that crap that happens and remember the people and uh, i think that's a pretty cool deal man i, I got a, a lot of stuff spinning around up here in my head and I'm I'm always curious about this communication technique, you know, because it is it's difficult because it's almost like you, you want to be in a directorial role with some young people. Yes, sir. Uh, but that typically doesn't work well with young people because you yes, know, they're they're at an age to where they're they're pretty darn independent and uh, we want to try to deliver a message and you just want to like open up and pour the message in, yes, sir. you have to find that, that bond. And, uh, I love how you, how you describe that, um, checking the egos at the door. That's, that's pretty strong. What are some of the, um, and I, I think about work ethic a lot because, you know, I, I spent a lot of time talking about recruiting people into the skilled trades and, yes, sir making sure people know that, you know, you can have a such successful life and career and all that good stuff without a four-year degree. And obviously four-year degree is great for some people. It's not great for other people. So I spend a lot of time on the other people uh, that don't need or want or choose to get a, a, a four-year degree. And a lot of that comes down to tenacity. It comes down to work ethic. It comes down to putting in your time and earning your stripes and all that crap that tends to go against the modern thing of instant gratification. Um, so I'm, all, I'm, I'm curious of, do you ever run up on the fact of, uh, let's say you're on the football field and you know, running plays and learning plays and what have you. It takes time. It takes re repetitive work. How do you, how do you, how have you found a successful route to helping young folks who are instantly gratified, happily type folks, our, our younger generation? How do you connect that with putting in the work and putting in the sweat and running the laps and all that crap you have to do to become a good athlete? versus you know scoring 14 billion points on a on a, a 
a video game. Yes, sir. Um, and that's a good question because I often tell my students at, uh, that they, they have a disadvantage. Um, it's kind of like a two-edged sword. Technology has helped them so much and brought the world to their fingertips, but it's made them um, shallow in their research. It, they take whatever they see. They don't understand the concept or the um, the meaning behind what they're reading in the context. And I, to me, I think it's easier. I almost want to say it's easier on the field because you need to preach to your players. If we do X, Y, and Z now, and it becomes natural, then when it's time to perform, you don't have to think because you're used to these situations. You've been taught. You know what to do. You know what the end result could be. But the challenge for them is they don't get to see it come to fruition until Friday night. And then after the ball game, you look back and say, okay, now it was all the hard work we put in, all the attention to detail, was it worth it? And they'll say yes. In the classroom, it's a little different because um, I battle, we all battle, what they come to us from home with. Because you're dealing with a group that's either being overtaught, demanded, uh, to do this with this and this and this, and they don't do it right all the time, they're punished, or they're not taught uh, virtually anything, and you're left to fill in all that void, and it's hard. Uh, I think it's still the common ground I, I, I keep going back to is a safe environment. They've got to be, they can't be afraid to make a mistake. They've got to understand what they're doing, what the importance is and how it can benefit or affect their life, negative or positive. Well, I, I think that's true, Mike, at, at home, at work, or in school, uh, or damn, damn near any environment you're in. But you bring up something that, that I think about and read about and try to study, and I just finished a great book yesterday on it. Um, it's called Men Without Work is the name of the book by uh, Nicholas Eberstadt. And... It talked about why there are 10 million plus adult uh, age appropriate, meaning uh, work working age men that have decided not to work in the in the workplace any longer. And you know, there's a gazillion different charts and and pieces of data he provides, um, and you know. Uh, unfortunately, there's no simple answer to it, but the the question is, uh, you know, why do so many people right now choose not to be in the in the labor pool? And if you read the statistics, there's a whole lot of trouble that develops around um, single parents that are having to do the best they can do given the circumstances. And um, in our in our uh, underprivileged neighborhoods, single parents, um, it, it's just devastating at the numbers that you see. And I'm wondering when you're on the field or you're in the classroom or both, is it readily noticeable to you the different 
um, core values that you see in a in a two parent home versus single parent? Absolutely. I mean, and Greg, I saw this coming. I've told several of my colleagues, I saw this coming th- uh, th- 25 years ago. When I first got into teaching and coaching, you had majority of your players and students had two parents, okay, that were active in their lives and uh, made school important, learning important, uh, character education important. But then you started uh, experiencing more and more of this, what I called a small group at that time, either being raised by grandparents or a single mom or a single dad. And now those children are now parents. So it's almost like they're repeating the cycle from that. And that's why I've tried to, um, I tried to work as hard as I could, I can to help them because um, I had two parents, but my parents weren't, in a position to be able to help me educationally. Uh, my, you know, they were very hard workers. They were great examples that way, but otherwise I was kind of alone. Yeah. And I, I remember how that felt. And also I've got to remember that these kids are coming to me with their own battles. Mine was poverty. That was my, my stumbling block. And it took those teachers that saw through that and helped me get through that that allowed me to come alive as a student and um, look past just sports. Because sports, you know, us talking, that was my safety blanket. It didn't matter if I didn't have the fancy equipment. I could play ball. And I worked and loved it. Um, So that was my common ground. And I know I've got a lot of kids that come to me with um, baggage. And uh, I, I just thought of an activity that I picked up this year that I think is pretty cool. I had them come in one day and had a trash can sitting in front of me. I gave them all a sticky note. And I said, I want you to put something on this sticky note that you're either battling with, experiencing, or is going wrong for you in your life. I said, I don't want a name on it. Just put it on a piece of paper. And I said, when you finish, come up here, crumble it up, put it in this trash can. I said, I'm not going to read one of them. And they all did that. And I wrote my own. And I called Greg up and I said, Greg, just to show you that I did it myself, what does it say? In front of class, he said, poverty. I said, that was my thing, that I, my baggage I brought in the classroom. I said, we all have it in some form or fashion. But I want you to know, when you come in that door, you put it in the trash. This is a safe environment. I'm going to make sure that you can learn without any repercussions or people making fun of you. So hopefully that creates a safe atmosphere. That was important for me. And I think it's even more important for these kids because we don't know right off the bat what they're coming to us from. Uh, I I think that that's just a fabulous way to to break the ice, so to speak, of, of, you know, letting them know that. And, you know, Mike, there's a, there's definitely an epidemic of uh, mental health issues right now among young people. And uh, the, the pandemic exacerbated that without a doubt. Uh, it's probably stemming pretty darn good before the, 
pandemic, but the pandemic kind of really knocked it up a notch. Yes, sir. Um, and you know, it, it's, it, it's, uh, suicide and, uh, giving people an outlet, you know, you, you don't know what that one exercise could have done for somebody. So I applaud that, uh, mentality of, of making that. Um, and you know, when I, I think about the young people and old people and veterans alike, especially veterans that are coming coming home um, and dealing with everything that goes into uh, a military veteran's past and, and how they got to be back on the state side and all the stuff they must suffer through. And I, I wouldn't even begin to try to guess what that is. Um, but giving people that that safe environment man that that is a great idea and i love how you did that um so my wheels are spinning right now on on that particular topic because it, it's a big deal it's especially a big deal when you have people that are of different generations that tend to be a little more harsh with their words and telling people to get their head out of their ass or whatever you know, thing that we happen to have heard when we were younger, that doesn't work, especially if somebody's wounded, you know. Um, yes, sir. And I look at your family, your, your kids, and I, I think about the three different ways you have to communicate with those three. And, yes, sir. And they're all unique. Um, yes, so I, that's kind of a little microcosm of, of real life, you know, just in, in your local domain there under your roof. Uh, or their roof, they're all adults. But um, the point is, you got to communicate with what resonates with people, not your style. Um, yes, sir. Whether it's on the field, whether it's on the on the, you know, uh, in on the mat, whatever, in the classroom, yes, uh, or walking down the dang hallway. Um, I, I, I had this thing that happened to me last week that was really. It really hit me in a cool way. I was in the grocery store, and um, this lady who checks, uh, you, you know, they have like one person who actually checks people out, and then they have 9,000 lanes of you check yourself out. So this lady is in the 9,000 lanes check yourself out. Like, she's the one that kind of directs traffic. Really sweet lady, Michelle. And um, so... She happened to be in the the other lane where they actually check your stuff for you. I saw her over there, so I got in her line. Uh, and uh, so I was talking to her, and she said, do you need some help out today? And I said, you know, no, thank you. I'm good. And, you know, for me, I'm like, dang, I would feel bad asking for help out being an able-bodied guy. But she she came up to me and stood beside me and quietly said, do you know why I ask you that? And I said, no, I don't. She said, I know you don't need help physically, but sometimes you just need somebody to know that you can talk to them. And man, I thought, what? Here's a lady at the freaking Harris Teeter that's like ministering to people without anybody even knowing what she's doing by just being a good human. And she said, sometimes you just need that person to walk you to the car and talk for a moment. And that creates the same thing you're talking about to me is you're creating a safe environment 
and that sounds pretty darn, you know, I don't know what it is. It seems kind of pansy to me for me to talk about a safe environment because I've always thought of myself as some rough and tumble guy, which I'm not. Uh, you know, at, at 59 years old, I realize I'm just an HVAC nerd, but it, it's really cool when I, when I thought about, when I got in the car, you know, I was thinking about, um, actually it's in my golf cart. I got in the golf cart on the way home thinking about just what Michelle said and how impactful that could be for one person who may have really been struggling that day that just yes. needed a kind word. And um, those little nuances of life are what we have to look at and then learn from them and go share that with somebody else. I, I think that's so true, and especially in in my life, because I, I didn't build myself. I had a lot of people that took time with me that didn't have to, that saw through my facade of trying to pass off being poor, like not letting people give me a ride. So they knew, but they did anyway. And I, I remember one night I woke up and I had tears in my eyes. And Angela, I said, well, what's wrong? I said, all these people that did the type of things like you uh, just mentioned in my life. And I said, you know, I'd love to be able to go back and tell these people I, I was listening. I appreciate it. You have helped build me, not in a bragging sense, but the, I'm successful. I'm, I'm proud of what I've done over my life. And I just want to say thank you. But I know I can't. So the only way I could do that is I pass that on. And, and I've always preached to our kids, you never know, like you just said, you never know that a kind gesture, a smile, a good morning, uh, an offer to help just help somebody that may be truly struggling. Yeah. And it may be the only positive thing they experienced that day. And I, I try to do that with my students so that they know that I care, that I'm there for them, that people have done it for me, that I'm just trying to pass it on. Yeah, I, I saw a, a meme several times over the last few years that said uh, people are struggling with a battle in their head that you know nothing about. And, um, you know, so true. Like, you know, I'm looking at Daniel on screen here and how handsome he is. Um, but I have no idea, you know, what what is going on in Daniel's life. He and I. We got together uh, 40 minutes ago, and, and we prepped for, with you on how we're going to do this podcast. But I don't know what his morning looked like or what his yesterday looked like or what his tomorrow is going to be. He's got to deal with all that crap, good, bad, or indifferent. It's his. And, you know, Daniel, I, I would ask you, you know, when you're, when you're hearing what you've been hearing for 39.51 minutes now, about me and Mike talking about doing good and trying to pay it forward is what we're really talking about is paying it forward. How does that hit you when you don't know he or I won uh, deeply? Is that, what does that sound like to you? It sounds like incredibly applicable life advice and something that um, I know I could always do more of. Um, but, you know, I think what's interesting about 
stepping out and being there for others is that you also have to be right with yourself first, right? Which means knowing what's out of your control and something to not spend a lot of energy on, right? Not to kind of get too caught up in, um, is this or is, is this not my fault? If you kind of know if it is or isn't in your control, it helps define that, right? But then there are some things that are very much in your control. Things like habits of discipline, hard work, work ethic, um, things that I value a lot and that I've had to sort of instill in myself because I know in a lot of ways, and maybe I, I beat myself up a little too hard, but sometimes I feel like there's been aspects of life that have just been, um, you know, uh, a little easier for me. And therefore, I uh, even though I still feel like I've, you know, done my due diligence to be where I am, um, I also was able to sort of leverage certain skills that I had that weren't necessarily hard work and work ethic. They were people skills or they were sort of some innate talent that I can then just kind of like showcase and that captures the needed attention to get me that part in the play or to get me that role in the choir or to land me that job here, right? Um, but what I've noticed is that those are really stepping stones, right? And so if you want to be... If you actually want to be successful in your life and you want to be in a place where you can then give outwardly and be uh, a, a servant to your community, to the people in your life, to the people at your job, to the people, uh, to people who you don't know ever and maybe only have one interaction with, none of that really happens until you can be confident with, am I doing my part in making sure that I'm sort of holding myself accountable to certain standards, right? And if I'm right with myself, then I can exude a positive, helpful servant energy to the rest of my community. Um, and I think a lot of people empathetically want to jump to the let me help. But in a lot of ways, it's coping with things that you haven't centered with yourself first. So get yourself right, and then you will be able to give in the way you actually want to give. You know, that's something that I've been trying to learn and apply myself uh, in the last few months man that's well said um everything you know daniel you, in, in your uh summary right there uh you, you spoke a lot in about getting your 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 poop in a pile internally and you know it's hard to it, it is hard to take uh knowledge from somebody and i i, I mean we've all had people who walk up and give you free advice unsolicited usually um, that are a walking train wreck. And, you know, maybe that is to your point, uh, them coping and maybe that's part of their healing is, is trying to figure out, you know, I don't know, it, but it's a great, great point uh, nonetheless. But well, Mike, I, we're, we're kind of getting up on our, on our time, but I, I am curious about, um, you know, I want you to, project out a little bit of you know what what's the legacy that that mike lisa wants left on uh humanity teaching coaching what 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 do you want on your urn or on your marker i think two things and i thought a lot about this lately my greatest joy i have two in my life my greatest joy is my family um that I, I, I dearly love and adore. And my second greatest joy is helping others. And um, not in a way that I'm perfect, but 
I just I kind of feel like over uh, my my early lot childhood makes sense now. I think if I have any uh, outlying talent, it's it's that I've, I've got a sensitivity to those people that may just need a kind act, whether it's one of my students or um, an adult in the building, uh, my fellow teachers. Um, just those two things that I just tried to help people the way uh, ways that people help me because like I said I didn't build myself uh, you contributed mildly to my life because and I haven't had a chance to say this but I had two older brothers and I didn't have a real relationship with them and that's why when I texted you when I said to you the other night I'm very thankful because I feel like we've had a brother relationship and that's part of something that's been missing over the years. And I appreciate that. And so when I tell you, I love your brother, it, it comes from the heart. I know it does, it's, man. it's based on how you've treated me and how my, your beautiful wife, my twin outlaw, you've accepted me since day one. And I just want to pass that on and to know that the world to know that I love my family. I love helping others and just giving back. Well, you certainly exude everything you talk about. And I'm, I'm one thing that I'm really proud for you. And, and, you know, you've retired like nine times, but you won't quit working. Um, I wish I had your pension a, because you must have like a bank statement coming in every day from a new pension. But Mike, what, what you're able to do, uh, and, and you're not, you know, 45 years old, but you have so many, of your coworkers that that are younger, that are figuring out, okay, they're a teacher and they're a kid to you because of their age. And, you know, I'm so glad that you're in a place where you get to be, you know, whether they know it or not, a role model. And, and that word can mean a lot of different things for people. But for me, it means you're there every day. You set the tone every day. You walk the talk every day. And yes, you're going to have crappy days like the rest of the world, but you're a rock and you're consistent that a young teacher, she may not know what that looks like because she may have never had that model in her life. And and you're able to do that for a lot of people. So don't, you know, don't, I know you don't take it for granted, but don't overlook that cool part of your, of your job that you get to do that, you don't even have to do. You just show up and do your deal, and it's like a byproduct. They get it for free. So good on you, brother. Well, thank you. I've been blessed. Truly blessed. I'm, I got a, like a notebook full of crap here. I got to start writing down before I forget it based on what, what you and Mike have delivered this morning. But really good, inspiring thoughts. And I, I hope that, um, like I said, coming off the holiday weekend, they're so – people are a little bit um, – I think people are softer when we go through a holiday like this. It, it typically the the Monday Tuesday, which today is to me, is that combo day. It's the first day of the week, but it's not Monday. I think people tend to be a little softer, um, and you know maybe this message will resonate with somebody um, that needs to hear it, or you know maybe somebody that's in that that role that Mike's in, uh, being able to demonstrate. Get your butt up, do a good job every day, because you don't know 
the impact you're having on others because you're not walking in their shoes. So with that, my man, I think we should take the horses and put them in the barn. And what's the, what's the uh, Toby Keith beer for my horses, whiskey for my men or something like that. I hear you. I love it. It's, it's been a pleasure learning from you all today too. A lot of really insightful stuff. It's been an honor guys. So I always put age before beauty. So I'll, uh, I'll let Mike be the hero in that one. So, but I definitely, definitely enjoyed it. Mike, thanks for joining us. Daniel, thank you for, for leading us down the path and uh, keeping us straight and uh, for your knowledge and, and your, your sharing of, of, you know, your thought processes because we never know what other people are dealing with. So totally. thank you for that. Of course. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of Straight Out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Again, we've been chatting with Mike Lysa. He's a wrestling and football coach with a 40-plus year career in both Georgia and South Carolina at four different school systems. We really appreciated his perspectives and life lessons today. Uh, if you like what you heard and you want previous conversations or to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes of Straight Out of Crumpton, make sure you're heading to Greg's website. Pretty easy, gregcrumpton.com, and make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to the show. I'm Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. We'll catch you on the next episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. Oh!